Welcome to Top 5. You just tuned in to the admirer of airtight flows, intricate um, bass lines, and minor chord progressions. Um, this podcast is for my new listeners and prisoners and the jealous rap cats that prefer distance. And today, in the words of the great, late great Fife Dog, I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, or Haitian. Hey. Um, we have the beautiful DJ Nina Vicious. Thank you. Um, she's here. I ju- we just want to have a little chat with her and just get a few things from her perspective in terms of her musical journey and where she's been in life. So you can introduce yourself and where you're from and your at name and stuff like that. What's goody, everybody? Thank you for having me, by the way. Of um, my name is Nina Vicious. Uh, I'm a DJ in New York City. Mm-hmm. Came up in Brooklyn, BK all day. Uh, Crown Heights, Crown Heights Massive. <laughs> oh, wow, yes. The real Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and what else? Um, your at name. Oh, yeah. I'm so bad with promo. I need to get better at that. I'm learning too. <laughs> I'm learning too. As, especially as you do the show and stuff like that. It's just like, you know, we sometimes you don't want to always put yourself out there, but you, ah, but gotta you got realize, to realize, yeah, yeah. So I'm at Nina underscore Vicious mm-hmm. uh, on Instagram. I have a website, ninavicious.com, but I feel like who goes to websites anymore? <laughs> yeah, it depends. I feel like if you need something from someone, then you could go to their website. But if you have their Instagram, then yeah. that's their website. Gives you everything much. you need. Yeah. Um, so you say you grew up in Crown Heights. like, um, And like I said in the beginning, that you're Puerto Rican and Haitian. Mm-hmm. Um, so which parts, like is your maternal side Puerto Rican? Or? My mom's Puerto Rican. Uh-huh. My father's Haitian. Um, I have a real close connection with my father's side of the family, even mm-hmm. my mom, who's Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. We mostly chill with my father's side of the family. Um, but she's like stone cold Puerto Rican, like New Yorican. Wow. Uh, she came up in Fort Greene, like in, in the 40s. Wow. I'm dating myself. No. <laughs> it's, um, okay. it's okay. But yeah, so like she's New Yorican to the core. So like I have a pretty good um connection to both sides Mm -hmm. so you speak creole and you speak spanish uh ooh, child (laughs) i don't speak neva oh really no i'm surprised (laughs) but most um, people are no but i mean growing up in i feel like people who grow up in new york it's it's a 50 50 chance too because i feel like there if your parents directly came from those places they kind of want you to have depending on what year they came they kind of want you to have that American experience and they don't necessarily I mean I guess in our minority communities it's not always like um, we pass down our culture inherently but it's not always like they kind of want you to be like okay I want you to live this American dream so like I'm teaching you English but then I feel like do you like know any like little words or like you can understand yeah, the conversation yeah I have like an intermediate level understanding of Spanish um, and I know like certain keywords. Uh, in Creole, but it also, like, most of the words that I know in Creole, my family always jokes, came from, like, when my father was having a temper tantrum. Oh, <laughs> and he would say words that I can't repeat, and I'm just oh. like, I'm not going to say those words. So, <laughs> really, I don't know Creole, because <laughs> I'm not going to say those words. But it's, like, all in good fun. But mm-hmm. um, but uh, I do have an intermediate level knowledge of Spanish, because I used to be an altar girl, and I used to... Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wait, so you grew up Catholic? Uh, I did. Christian? Okay. Yeah, so... Um, I was an altar girl and my mom always went to Spanish mass. Mm-hmm. So I picked up a lot. 
I used to hang out with her and the Rosary ladies when I was a little girl. God, you know, sorry. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I don't hang out with the Rosary yeah. ladies no more. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear you. Especially being in the clubs, you can't not yeah. necessarily, you know. I'm, li- I'm living a secular lifestyle. No, I hear you. <laughs> um, but so what were your main, like, musical influences growing up in that cultured household? Well, it's interesting because even though I don't have the language, music, especially music from my cultures, was a big, big part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was a little girl, I want to say around 9 or 10, um, my parents enrolled me in a program with a group called Los Pleneros de la Mm Veintiún. And that uh, was a group that specialized in a style of Afro-Puerto Rican um, music and dance called Bomba y Plena. and so it's basically the African music, or I guess the most African music, because salsa has African influences Absolutely. and reggaeton has African influences. Mm-hmm. But that is like the most African style of music on the island. Mm. Um, and so I came up listening to and performing that style of music when I was a child. Wow. Um, so that was a big part of my childhood. Mm. Um, and also, uh, I used to go to a lot of Haitian parties, especially being in Crown Heights. Oh, compa. Yes. I love some compa. Um, so I love the compa parties and compa is like kind of, I feel like it's about to become a little bit more mainstream. Oh, definitely. Than it was. Cause I'm noticing way more people talking about it than before. Yeah, we had a guest on the show. Like a lot of the guests that I have happened to be like, obviously from Caribbean cause New York is so integrated in right. terms of different cultures. But, um, we've definitely predicted that. Because, you know, like, how the rise of Afrobeat has been. Like, I mm-hmm. think Afrobeat, hit, it's almost, it's about to hit its climax in terms of the style. I agree. And mainstream. And then now Compa is that next um, type of, you know, it's almost, it feels undiscovered to mainstream, but it has that, like, makes you move and it's so sensual yeah. type music. So I definitely agree with you there. I know it was about to hit mainstream because um, I don't know if you're familiar with Hard Hitting Harry. Mm-mm. Um, but he's also a DJ that spins at the same spot that you saw me at. Mm-hmm. And, um, he gave me a remix to Rihanna's work and it was a compa remix. Oh my God. <laughs> it's really good. I can good. even picture that in my brain. Yeah. It's oh really my good. Gosh. Yeah. So in terms, like who were like, were you like, not to be like, you know, stereotypical, but like, do you, did you like Celia Cruz? Or like, did you listen to like the old school mm-hmm. type of, um, salsa merengue and all these types of styles of music or like was it just like that was secular music to your household? Um, no, um, I loved all of the uh, old school salsa artists. Mm-hmm. I specifically love Fania artists. So Fania was mm-hmm. a record label. If you don't know, maybe you do. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, it was like uh, Tito Puente, Hector Lavoe, oh, yes, all those cats. Yes, yes, the big guys. Yeah. The and uh, Celia was like one of their main vocalists. And Definitely. to me, Celia was huge. Not because, not only because her discography is amazing. Like, if you go through her discography, it's just bananas. But, like, the stage presence that she had, the power that she had in her voice, there was no mistaking the African influence in her style. For sure. And she was very, very proud of her blackness from early on. And to see an Afro-Latina expressing uh, pride in her blackness, Mm -hmm. um, as far back as, you know, the 60s and the 70s, I think that's really, really important. Um, it was important to me to see that as a child because there were all other sorts of influences around me mm-hmm. that n- were not necessarily expressing the same pride and blackness, especially in the Latino community. Um, so that came through to me in Celia's music. Mm. Um, 
and and she means a great deal to me to this day. Um, before my name was Nina Vicious, it was Nina Azucar. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know me as Nina Azucar because I only recently changed it to Nina Vicious about a, a couple months ago. Mm. So I went by Azucar for a long time because Celia was one of my greatest musical influences. Mm-hmm. Um, I only really changed it because people were having such a hard time pronouncing it. Um, I was going to ask because <laughs> that's so bomb. Like, yeah. I like... Uh, I think um, Celia was such a revolutionary, like you were basically alluding to, in terms of um, bringing, like her. Besides her being the figure for Afro Latinas and being that representation, she definitely was um, revolutionary in breaking barriers for other Af- Afro Latina artists and Latina artists. Period. Because without Celia Cruz, we wouldn't even have go even as far as a Selena. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, to even go that far. Or even to today, having a Cardi B. Like, to be able to be yeah. that themselves in that type of way. So And you have artists like Amara La Negra. Yeah, I she love her. She frequently um, shows, like, old photos that she took with Celia. Celia was, like, one of her mentors. Yeah, so. definitely. You could tell by the way that she even understands... Um, the Afro-Latina experience and tr- how she brings it to the forefront and brings awareness to it. So yeah, that's important. But oh, I like, but I like Nina Vicious though. Thank I think you. That, I think that's like a little like <laughs> rebel is like uh, it gives you like that. Uh, like I, I was feel, like, I'm not sweet no more. Yeah, yeah. Like I swear, <laughs> I'm God, vicious. So like, oh, and then like Vicious, like yeah, no, I'm here. To, I'm not here to play with y'all niggas. Type right, shit. right. But um, <laughs> so. I saw that you have a master's in um, classical voice and education. So um, do you sing? Um, I haven't sung in well over a decade. It's something I want to get back into just for recreational purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, I specifically specialize in classical voice, which Mm -hmm. is opera, Mm -hmm. basically. And I was classically trained for a very long time. I performed that style for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I started very young because I went to LaGuardia. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where I started to learn. And then I just took it into college. Um, But after a while, I realized that that wasn't really where I wanted to build a career because it didn't allow me enough creative freedom. Mm -hmm. You're basically... I mean, this is going to sound bad, but it's the truth. You're basically singing the same songs from the same dead white guys, like... Doesn't sound bad to me. <laughs> ad nauseum, like, yeah. for the rest of your career. And I was just like, I just need a little more variety. Yeah, and I think, like, um, I mean, I've taken a thousand music classes, and you definitely just learn about the Beethovens and the Bachs and the Mozarts, mm-hmm. and then you learn about all the same Italian plays and, mm-hmm. and musicals and stuff like that. So that's why I was interested to know what made you go into classical music and what piqued your interest there, because that's not often what you hear from anybody that's black or black yeah, and Latina. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what, what was your frame of mind going into it? It was totally by mistake. Um, I actually, as a child, I loved all styles of music. And I was really raised, you know, my parents introduced me to um, uh, Puerto Rican music and Haitian music, but I was a hip-hop head. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was happy to stay a hip-hop head. Uh, But when I got accepted to LaGuardia, um, they introduce you immediately to classical music. And they start training you classically right away, and that's Mm -hmm. just a part of the curriculum. Mm. Um, and I had listened to a couple of classical pieces before and just because I was curious and uh, I really liked them, but it wasn't something I ever saw myself doing professionally. Mm. Um, however, it turned out I was really good at it. And um, I also felt that singing, you get a physical release. Mm-hmm. It's very satisfying. It's very rewarding. Um, and so I just became hooked on it. Um, 
and then I just continued with it in college because I really wasn't sure what else I wanted to do other than music. And at the time, I thought it was just like me not knowing what I needed to do with my life, uh, especially coming from a Caribbean background. Yeah, if the only thing you're interested straight. in doing is music, you must be, you're thinking to yourself, like, what's wrong with me? Right, right. <laughs> and, and especially... Um, because it's like, okay, we're here, we want you to have an education, and it's like, okay, music is a hobby. Like, yeah. now, I think, in this era, is more like, okay, you can actually do things with yeah. your passion, and you can monetize it. Before, it was more like, okay, you have your day job, and then you do something on the side right. that if you like to do it too much. Like, if you like right. to do it too much, then it's not a job. And that's exactly what happened. I think my family, especially, they thought it was just a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then they, when they saw me taking it seriously, they were like, uh-oh. <laughs> but they see I'm serious about it now, so. So, um, what made you get into DJing? Uh, well, after I got my master's in classical voice, um, and I realized I didn't want to be in that industry, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, so... Uh, a friend of mine told me about the teaching fellows program mm-hmm. and I just signed up just to do it uh, so I could have a, a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I ended up in the Department of Education, teaching for the Department of Education for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that time, I was also a party girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as anybody in college is. Right. And um, in the summers, teachers get uh, summer vacation. Mm-hmm. So especially in the summer, I used to go to all the good parties. Um, I was always at the Rub and a bunch of other parties. Um, and a friend of mine was just like, yo, you are constantly studying the DJs. Mm. And she was like, and your knowledge of music is so extensive. And mm-hmm. like, you're really into DJing. And I always noticed that you're like analyzing them and saying like, if that was me, I might not have done that. Mm. Or that was an amazing mix. Mm, that's me. Oh, my God. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when when you start thinking in those terms, when you're at a party, mm-hmm. rather than just <laughs> <Right>. wilding out, <laughs> you know what that's I mean? Sad. It's me. Oh, my God. I identify with this so much. I'm listening to you. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so she was like, I really think you need to take a DJ class. Mm-hmm. So she was friends with a DJ called DP1, and he's mm-hmm. an amazing DJ. Mm. Um, he's one of my favorite DJs and one of my mentors to this day. Um, Shout to him. Yeah. And um, she was like, you, you should go to Scratch. So Scratch is a, one of a few DJ schools in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I took a class at Scratch. I took two classes. And after the second class, the lead instructor was just like, you need to be in clubs already. <laughs> wow. And I was just like, okay, this is a sign. Because I was really missing music in my life when I was teaching. Mm. I love kid Nina's for the children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what yeah, what was your concentration when you were doing education? I was um teaching elementary school and I was sort of I was um a special education teacher. Uh, so that okay. was my specialty. Mm-hmm. And I really got a lot out of teaching students with special needs. Mm. I was very passionate about it. Um there's a lot about the system, the Department of Education that I'm not into. So broken. Um and I'm here for all the teachers who are about to go on strike and I'm here for whatever type mm-hmm. of reform that needs to take place in Absolutely. order for the kids to get what they need. Mm-hmm. Um but you know the way that system is set up can really suck the life out of you as a teacher. For sure. They don't pay you enough and Mm-mm. also it's like it takes up a, a big chunk of your life and it's you take it home you, yeah and it affects you in so many different ways but i can go on about that forever yeah, no yeah. i mean i mean and i was doing it for eight years and then like i'm i think in my third year i was like let me take these classes but you know i was just practicing a lot at home uploading mixes on soundcloud and i was mm-hmm. kind of scared 
to dip my toe in that water of mm-hmm. like being a full-time DJ. And finally, I just left. I literally just abruptly left and just did it. Wow. That's brave. Yeah. So um, did you feel like, did you feel like, since you already feel like you had that passion for it, did you just feel like, oh, I just need the technical skill to just, okay, put, know how to mix stuff together, how to do these transitions, how uh, understanding of the table, like, what was your thinking going into it? In the beginning, um, I focused a lot on the technical because at the time that I started, we didn't have all the new technology like controllers and things that make it just a little bit easier for DJs to DJ. Mm-hmm. I learned on turntables with, like, old school vinyl. I was literally, ooh, she yeah. just hit on something already. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and it was, so that takes a long time to master. Mm-hmm. So I actually did, like, I was in scratch every day. Like, I used to see the teachers looking at me like, yo, this chick is crazy. Because wow. I'd be in the school every day day in the back practicing from like the time they open till the time they close wow um and then finally I got my own setup uh but yeah it took me a while to really get comfortable and say okay now technically I feel like I can be in a club Mm -hmm. but once you get past the technical something that I really didn't bargain for is you really have to take some time to master reading a crowd Mm. that is very very tricky and it changes from gig to gig um, How, so that I was going to touch on that. How, so what were your experiences in terms of when you, your first experience going out there and being front of, in front of the crowd and what lessons did you learn from that and that you took into, you know, becoming who you are now? Yeah. The first time I spun out was at Bob Bar in the Lower East Side. I don't know if you know Bob. I've heard of it. Before. Yeah. It's small. It's kind of like house party vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had two, uh, friends who had a, an event called uh, Eargasms there, and it was uh, Crap Swagger and Max Carnage. They're amazing DJs, too. Mm -hmm. And um, they put me on to guest with them. Mm -hmm. And my set was fine. I pre-planned everything. I even numbered the tracks to play them in a particular order. Mm. They all went well together. I was nervous as shit. Can I curse on this? Yeah. Okay. It's a podcast. (laughs) Fuck, 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 shit. Okay, go ahead. But, like, I was nervous. And, like, so they were laughing at me because it was just like, there's no reason for her to be nervous right now. Like, Mm -hmm. but I was a little bit nervous because it was my first time not spending in my bedroom but also what I noticed was I wasn't really looking at anybody Mm. I have no idea like I heard people reacting in the background but I wasn't really paying attention to them because I was just trying to get through the set Mm -hmm. um and my first couple of gigs were like that where I had like meticulously planned the sets Mm -hmm. and then eventually I realized I'm spinning only to my musical taste Mm. And I'm not necessarily taking into account the vibe of the room. Mm, I like a lot of really like dark, gully hip hop. Mm -hmm. When you're in a club or bar and you're trying to get ladies up out their seats after they came from work to hang out with their girls, you might want to steer clear of those types of tracks. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And that was something I have to learn after a while. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to learn that with experience. Um, And then, you know, when you see couples at the end of the night, you might want to have some slow jams prepared, you know? So um, that was something that it took a while for me to be... I had to watch people, like, sitting down during my set because I wasn't playing the right song at the right time. Mm. My mixes might have been clean, Mm -hmm. but I just wasn't playing to the energy of the room. Mm -hmm. I wasn't... You know, when people were looking in, you have to try to guess what's going on in their head when they're walking in. Right. You have to try to pay attention to maybe how they're dressed. Um... You know, if some girls came in and they're beat to the nines mm-hmm. and like they have their heels on and say they want to floss, yeah. you know what? So you got to play some Beyonce. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have to. <laughs> that is gonna be on my mood boards. You have to play some. Beyonce. You have to play some Beyonce. Oh. Um, you know, so and then you know if if people are feeling like um a little tense, tense, mm-hmm. uh, like if it looks like a high school prom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you know, like with the boys on one side and the girls on the other side, you might want to play some dance hall. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So mm. it's like, because that's just going to force people and it's going to get people in the mood to wind up on each other. Right. Um, so little uh, tricks of the trade mm-hmm. uh, that you learn really through trial and error. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So how did you um, incorporate your background of... Um, your classical training into like creating your sets and now that you know how to read the crowd how do you mix that all together no pun intended right um well one thing that i think my classical training really helped me with was being able to tell which songs sound good together Mm. so um when you're studying classically you learn a lot about musical theory Mm -hmm. and it helps you to know what key signatures go well with Mm -hmm. each other and so it just starts to become innate like you start to i can tell which acapellas go over which instrumentals really well Mm -hmm. and it helps me uh with my transitions because i create um if I do say so myself, I'm I have a knack for creating seamless blends between mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. I might not do a lot of like clack clack beat juggling and all these tricks and stuff like that, but like my blends typically are really really clean mm-hmm. and the songs usually sound really really good together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely think and my timing is is almost always on point. Mm-hmm. But I think that that came from years and years of classical training. That being said. I know DJs who have absolutely no schooling whatsoever who know how to do that without having had any training mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends. But I do think that my schooling helped me um, with that. I think that's so dope. And I think, um, like you said, it definitely comes with knowing musical theory. Like, I've only studied it basically. Like, I can only, t- like, sk- basic scales and understanding, like, timing and stuff like that. So... I definitely can see where you you would, especially having that and knowing it and studying it for so long that it would be such an important part of just being able to DJ, period, because that's what it is. And um, so how do you feel about people who, like, it seems like the DJ world is so saturated. Oh, it certainly is. And it's like anybody can literally just bring their laptop and Mm -hmm. then they have like a little Serato controller and they're just like, okay, this, I'm a DJ now. And especially for us being women, it's, um, become more of a hustle than a passion. You know what I'm saying? And I like, obviously you want to get money off of your passions, but how do you feel about that nowadays? And do you feel like there should be like a gatekeeper or entry point in where things should start? It's, it's an a open good question. question. Yeah. It's a good question, but it's also really like hard to answer because mm-hmm. on the one hand, I do think there's something to be said for paying your dues mm-hmm. um, because it just shows that you have a certain amount of passion for right. what you're doing. Um, when I first started DJing, there were so many DJs who were starting with me. After a while, when they saw the amount of hustle that it took, when they saw the, the amount of dedication that it took, in terms of just like the amount of time that you have to spend practicing, um, the amount of people that you have to appeal to on the business tip, sometimes the amount of people who try to shortchange you mm. for the job that you're doing, um, they didn't last very long in the industry because they were only doing it because they wanted to gain some type of recognition. They wanted to boost their followers on social media, mm-hmm. et cetera. But, um, and so when I see DJs like that, I'm just like, well, I guess you'll be rocking out with me for like a year or two, yeah. you know? And so usually the DJs who are really serious about it, I feel like they stand the test of time, but you know, then at the same time, it's hard because I, I, 
I'm not the type of DJ, if I see somebody spinning on a control, I'm like, ah, you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so I do think it's a fine line because I know OGs who are just like, ah, this DJ's trash. And I'm just like, well, is it just because the DJ's young and they're spinning on something that's not turntables? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so I think... I think what the tensions that I see in the DJ community is very similar to the tensions you see in the hip hop community. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is generational. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is people not wanting to get left in the dust so they find anything to complain about mm -hmm. with the youth. But then by the same token, you got the youth that's constantly looking back at the OGs like, you're washed, you need to step to the side so that we can take over, regardless of whether or not we even have the skill to do so. So it's kind of hard. You know, like I, I, I look at DJs who I know, I can tell that they're not, really that serious about it mm -hmm. and I firmly believe that just time sort of just like filters out people who are not supposed to be yeah. in the game mm -hmm. because you might be able to get over on one audience two audience three audiences or even your friends but once your friends get married and have kids and can't go to the club no more you got to be <laughs> yeah. able to spin for everybody yeah you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. and if you can't do that over a long period of time you're not really going to last in the industry so I feel like time sort of just takes care of it so I try not to worry about it too much mm. So being that time is such a, um, I mean, it's it's precious in every entity of life. But for you, like, how is it in terms of become like, dictating your trajectory in the DJ community? Like, how, what are some goals that you have for yourself in terms of, like, without spilling some stuff that, you know, you, right. you on your own and you're on your grind to do, but, like, what are, like, some big um, goals that you see yourself being in, a, like, the next five years or something like that? Um, it's very different from what it was at the start of my DJ journey. When I first started, I just wanted to get into clubs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for any creative, the key is constantly reinventing yourself. If you see that something starts to, you get stuck in a rut, something gets old to you, you, you figure out a way to reinvent things. Mm. Um, you know, there was one point in my DJ career where I felt like I might not want to be a tour DJ. Um, and that it really wasn't for me. And now I'm watching my girl DJ Reborn and she's on tour with Lauren Hill right now. Wow. And like, she's one of my favorite DJs, to be honest. Um, and I'm just like, you know, maybe that is something I would like to do because she's inspired me. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely uh, have always, from back in the day, wanted to take, try my hand at radio. Mm. Um, and you have a radio voice, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, you, you definitely <laughs> could definitely dictate a conversation it's amazing anyway continue. oh that's awesome mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm. um angie martinez was a huge inspiration Same. um when i was coming up and um so it, i feel like it's interesting to say radio now mm -hmm. because the way radio is set up now especially for um music djs it's hard because there's a lot of payola going on and it's not necessarily like you could just play whatever you want and have whatever guests you want on your show mm -hmm. um so i would have to figure out um how i went about doing that mm -hmm. That would take a lot of brainstorming. Um, I definitely uh, want to be a little bit more mainstream, but mm. it's difficult, right? Because mm. uh, people know me on a local level. Mm -hmm. I could pretty much do whatever I want creatively. Mm -hmm. The more mainstream you become, it becomes harder to do that. Absolutely. And so um, the money's got to be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that you have to make a living for yourself and be comfortable. Yeah. Um. So even touching on that, so you t touched on a different couple different facets of DJing. Um, do you feel like, um, I feel like you're multifaceted. What are some things that you feel, what's some advice that you can give to someone who may be thinking about trying their hand or throwing their hat in the ring in terms of 
being a DJ, well, specifically women DJs, because I feel like even though we, I mean, I, I have plenty of DJ friends, shout out to Fat Fingers, like that people I'm hey, close to, yeah, that. I like Fat Fingers. Oh, yeah. He, All the heavy hitters. Yeah, the heavy hitters, shout out to y'all, Um, that, you know, people have this talent, and with the women, it's definitely not something, like it's showcased, but it's not, not something that, you know, in every facet of life, we're fiending to um, make our mark mm-hmm. in terms of that, even though it's 2019, like, what the fuck? But yeah. um, what are some tips for that you would give a woman trying to, like, oh, actually, I had what she's talking about. Like, I had those same thoughts. Yeah. Um, what would you, what advice would you give? I think it's important to have a good support circle around you. Like, the first thing you should do if you want to take DJing professionally, um, professional, is, um, you know, obviously you have to get the skill down, Um you got to practice. You you got to make sure that you're um, you're legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once you you uh, decide to take it professional, I think that it's really really important to have a team around you who's supportive of your creative vision. Because what happens to a lot of women in the DJ community is that um, their brand it becomes very image based. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not really trying to play that game necessarily, it can be very discouraging. I have a, a good network of women DJs around me who are very, very supportive, very, very encouraging, and who are proof positive of what um, what is possible when you stay true to who you are as a creative. A lot of women can get lost in, you know, put mad selfies up on Instagram. Um, you know, you got to get like a beauty brand or a fashion brand behind you or something like that. Mm. And like, that's like the first thing that they think about. And for longevity's sake, I mean, if you want to talk about somebody who who doesn't um, play into the game of like con- conventional beauty and has still had a career that is like iconic, I look at Missy Elliott as a huge inspiration. Absolutely, the queen. You know, and I mean, and, and, and beauty is subjective. She's gorgeous to me. She's beautiful. But she didn't play that game, mm-hmm. and she was still able to make things happen for mm-hmm. herself. There's this um, new artist, Chica, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, it's really, really important that um, I stay true to who I am as a creative and, and as an artist. And I think that for anybody who wants to become a DJ, especially if you're a woman, you have to be very, very clear about who you are, what your message is, what your creative vision is, and you have to be sort of unwavering. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's good to take constructive feedback. It's um, it's good to have mentors telling you, hey, I, I get that you have this idea, but I think you need to edit it in this way or that way. It's mm-hmm. good to take constructive feedback. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important for women to be confident in, in what we already know we're trying to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to get lost in a sea of, it's a male-dominated field, so it's easy to get lost in the sea of men who have been dominating DJing for a long period of time. They tell you, you gotta do X, Y, Z, and you're thinking, well, this is an established DJ, so obviously I have to do Mm -hmm. all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's not really important. And it's also, uh, a lot of the uh, advice that a lot of these uh, male DJs will give you is counterintuitive. I had uh, a male DJ tell me that like, if I really wanted to get booked uh, frequently, I had to come to my gigs wearing like a certain type of dress, Mm. like show some skin. Mm. And I had to also wear heels. And I was just like, have you ever tried to do a six hour set in heels? Have you ever tried to stand in one spot in stilettos? And he was like, why are you trying to play me? (laughs) No, but it's it's real. But, you know, I was just like, have you ever tried to do that? And do you think you would be able to spin 
as well as you would if you were physically comfortable mm-hmm. behind the tables. Yeah. Um, so it's just like little things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the biggest obstacle women have to face is like kind of weaseling their way through all of this quote unquote toxic masculinity that's in the industry. I hate There's using no buzzwords quote, unquote, like that. But I, yeah, I understand because it's so overused. It but is. But it, it's a real thing. And, it is. And it's, it's really... Um, the misogyny of it all in terms of like navigating and like having to deal with these microaggressions that, you know, like that men really just put on us. And it's just like, like you were just talking about even you got to show some skin, you got to wear some, you know, or even like mansplaining. Like that's a huge thing. Like (laughs) the amount of times dudes have tried to give me advice about things that I already know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was just like, you wasted my time. So like not to turn this into like some feminist rant, but like, I'm speaking from experience, and that is something that we deal with constantly, and it and it really does hinder us. If you let those voices get in your head, mm-hmm. it can really discourage you. So I encourage any woman who's trying to get in the industry to get like a good group of women, and also men who are respectful mm-hmm. um, and appreciate what you do um, around you, so that you don't get lost uh, in, I don't know, just like another place where you're feeling like. Nobody appreciates who you are and what you came to do. So amazing advice. Yeah. Um, but in contrast to that, uh, let me read off the resume real quick. Uh oh. This girl, <laughs> she was crowned Uptown's best DJ in 2016 by a uh, cool DJ Red Alert. Hey. Um, and she's and Stormin' Norman for the Uptown Art of the Music Battle. You know, she's been at the hottest parties in NYC currently. Are you still at Toka Tuesdays? Yeah. Okay. I'm actually spending that Toka Tuesdays on my birthday, which is February 26th. Yes. Low oh, plug. Yes. You know, I'm mean, yeah, so this will be out by that time. So check her out. Um, Soul in the Horn and I Spy. Um, and she's open and like had the pleasure of sharing the turntables with DJs such as Evil D, Premier, obviously Primo is like one of my faves. Um Ooh, DJ en- exactly. DJ Enough, obviously, shout out to Heavy Hitters again. Um DJ Mona Moma, Tony Touch, Pete Rock, obviously uh, one of the legends. <laughs> um Lord Finesse, like DJ Scratch. Like so with having those experiences, how like what's been your best experience and like how do you um end up in these situations like have you ever been like oh my god like Mm -hmm. this is primo like oh yeah i've listened to his music since i've been a kid (laughs) one of my best nights my greatest dj nights that i will remember to this day was the first time i opened for primo at toka tuesdays it was at the delancey and i remember i had been harassing uh danny castro who's the promoter of that party and Mm -hmm. he books the the opening djs um I had been harassing him for a while and he didn't even know who I was. I was just like, I'm a really good DJ and you need to have me open, you know, at Toka Tuesdays, blah, blah, blah. And I had to wait like months and months for him to get back to me. I first opened for Lord Finesse and that was bananas. Oh and God. and to this day, Ness, like he's, he's a great mentor of mine. Mm. He's a really nice dude. Like I, I try to keep in contact with him as much as possible. He's definitely the GOAT. Yeah. Um, and then right after uh, Finesse, I opened for Premiere, and that was in December. I want to say it was 2015. That night was bananas. It was packed, like wall-to-wall packed, of like, you know, people who come to that party, but also like huge names were in the room. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, this is one of my first gigs that I've ever done. Wow. And look at like all these influence, not... I don't want to say influential people, but I, people that I respect. Mm-hmm. 
people that I look up to mm-hmm. and and lovers of the hip hop that I love were in the building and everybody was going bananas. Primo came up to me and was like, yo, I really liked your set. Your wow. timing was great. Your blends were great. And like, I was like staring at him in awe. I was just like, yo, I don't even know what to say to you right now. I'm so nervous. Like, you are amazing. I am a huge fan. And like, he was laughing at me because like, Cause it was nothing so to him. And I never met him, but I would just imagine he would be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was like, it's not a big deal. He was like, but do your thing. He was like, do your thing. Wow. I remember I had gone from a hip-hop set into like an old school house set, and he was just like, play more house, play more house, you know? Wow. Um, I was being shouted out on the mic by Voodoo Ray, who who passed away just a year ago. Rest, rest in, in peace. peace. Um, wow. Very influential, and especially in New York, but music-wide, anyway. It was such a scene, yo. Yeah. Like, And that was like one of my best... It really helped to set me on my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to Toka Tuesdays, Tony Touch, Danny Castro, and all of them. Um, rest in peace, Voodoo Ray. I mean, those dudes have really kept me on, I want to say, the Toka Tuesday party for about three years. And I've mm-hmm. gotten a lot of um, gigs through that party, and I've I've made a lot of connects through that party. Um, so I appreciate them for sure. Yeah, Toka Tuesdays is definitely a staple since I've been growing up and like that's something you always would hear, you know, especially Tony touches the name that rings bells, Voodoo Ray. Like, I mean, that's amazing. I'm yeah. glad that you shared that experience with us. Um, but so since you had, you know, this show is mostly about um, hip hop and stuff like that. And um, since you're a DJ, I'm going to spin it a little bit. And usually we ask our guests, who their top five is. Uh-huh. So for you, I want to say if you were making this like master set that's like going to be in like the music hip hop hall of fame forever and it defined what hip hop is to you. Yeah. What would be the top five songs that you would have on that mix? Oh man. Okay. So let's see. Um, who got the props? Black Moon. Mm. Cause that's like as Brooklyn as it gets. Uh yeah. Um let's see. Ooh. Rapid fire, rapid fire. Um No Time. That's mm-hmm. a little camera, right? Mm-hmm. Um What We Do Freeway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely That's my track, yeah. man. It, that that feel that's like my win- like in terms of like the soundtrack to my winter, like just the beginning, the opening first 10 seconds on that song is just iconic when you hear the dun, 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 yeah dun, dun. scenario mm-hmm. i'm a huge tribe fan as you but, know. oh same <laughs> same um and then i need to pick like a ooh annie up mm. off the top mm. <laughs> wow that would be amazing um so then on the flip side of that if one had to go out of those five. If one had to go out of those five, mm-hmm. ooh, damn, you're not going to make me get rid. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a mess because I know which one I have to get rid of, and I'm trying to like be here for the ladies. <laughs> but I would have to get rid of no time mm-hmm. because Why? I'm such a Brooklyn girl. You know what it is? like. I just like really gully, really hype just like uh, aggressive mm-hmm. music. Uh, yeah, all those songs. <laughs> no Time is the, the chillest one. It's the one chillest out one out of all of them. Yeah, it's the chillest one out of all of them. And like what I like about, um, uh, 
who got the props from Black Moon. I always play it in my sets, mm -hmm. and people are always surprised to hear me play it. But I'm surprised you even said that. Nobody's mentioned Black Moon since I've started the show. Right. Well, for me, like, if you had asked me what my top five albums were, I might not have said Black Moon, even though I'm cool with Evil and Wall. Mm -hmm. And, like, if they hear this, they're going to be like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, shouts to them. But, like, but yeah, and, I like, I'm keeping it funky. Like, when it comes to albums, that's a whole different story. But when you're talking about, like, a song that sounds to me like Brooklyn, mm -hmm. like yeah. unmistakably, mm -hmm. Who Got the Props by Black Moon. So it just sounds sonically yeah. mm -hmm. like where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I said Annie Up and Scenario. Because I just like seeing dudes wild out, and, and women, mm -hmm. just wild mm -hmm. out and get crazy to mm -hmm. hip hop. Like, yeah. that's my vibe. I love that. I want to pretend to be like the smooth R&B party chick, but I'm not. <laughs> I think we, I honestly, I love that you're the opposite of that. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I think we, as women, we're just all propped up to be like, oh, we like classy little slow jams and right. stuff like that. But listen, my favorite rap group tied is Juna and Tribe. So like, yes. I'm very like, I'm gully as fuck. So yeah. I just want to like, that is like, like the mix that you just said just now is like something that is probably in my iPod now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like right. that, those in that order. So Ooh, and I didn't put any woo in there and I love me some woo. Oh God. Then I, I feel like all those, um, all that you mentioned are definitely staples in New York hip hop and, and this, that sound. So I appreciate that you even brought that up. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was dope, though. Um, so tell us what you have coming up. So, yeah, definitely come check me out. I want to see say the biggest party that I'm doing um, by the time you hear this is um, February 26th. I'm going to be at Toka. Mm -hmm. I am going to be opening for Nicodemus, who is like, a life goals type of DJ because he's like constantly booked globally. I, I was gonna say, wow, that's huge. Yeah, like I want to be on his level of like constantly being booked internationally. Wow. Um. So yeah. So I'm going to be uh, opening for him, and it's gonna be my birthday party as well. No, happy early birthday. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um. And then March eighth, I'm gonna be at El Cortez. Mm -hmm. That's gonna be my first time there. So come check it out. I don't know how I'm really gonna like bill it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, like, make a party out of it or do, like, a cover or something. Like, you can keep up with me on Insta, mm -hmm. and then, like, I'll just update update you guys. Yeah, just But make those sure are, like, the two her. biggest things that I'll be doing. Well, we can't wait to see and get to see some highlights. And just make sure you're following her Instagram at Nina underscore Vicious. Yep. Okay. And uh, follow me at Zoe underscore Veranda and Top 5 by Zoe. Um, just to keep up with everything that's going and hopefully that we stay in contact of course um, for the future but this was a great episode and yes. I appreciate you coming and telling ex telling your story and being so transparent and um, I really appreciate that thank you I had a great time this went by so fast yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it was great I think when we're, time flies when you're having fun of not course. to be cliche but it was it was no great. for real but thank you thank you